This is The Wealth Puzzle with Michael Mansfield from The Lynn Group. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Michael provides his clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, Retirement Income Planning, Wealth Management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now, here is The Wealth Puzzle with Michael Mansfield. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, The Wealth Puzzle with Michael Mansfield. And I'm Tana Pennington. And I love our new background today. It makes me feel just Summer. like we're on a beautiful beach for summertime. <laughs> and actually, I was. Last week, I have to admit, I, I skipped town with my husband and, and kids. And we went to Florida. And it was beautiful. It was, it was very nice. Wow. Yeah, it was nice. Must Great be nice. weather. And we actually did a little surfing on the, the last day. Surfing. So, yeah. Doesn't sound like Dan, Tana's household is going into the Great Depression. <laughs> well, no, we, we road tripped it. We didn't buy those higher priced um, yeah, they're airline tickets right now. right now. I know they are. They really are. But people are willing to pay for it. So <laughs> it's interesting to see that ticket sales are doing well for airlines. I think there was, um, I was reading an article. There was, I think, 2.3 million people passed through TSA last yeah. week. So that is fantastic. People are out traveling, doing those trips that they had to postpone during COVID. So I think that's great news. I think it's healthy for us to, to get going and, and move on. And, and, um, but yeah, also, Oh, box office ticket sales are up, which is fantastic. Um, since prior to COVID, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. 36% higher. I thought that was awesome. Than pre COVID. Yeah. 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 And that's because um, the Buzz Lightyear movie just came well, out. So <laughs> everyone's running out to see that. Possibly. I was going to name a different movie. It was really good. What movie? It was Mavericks. Mavericks. It was so good. <laughs> the new Top Gun. I'm not kidding. No, it was Fantastic. good. I saw it too. See, I go and it was a great movie for the whole family because it was, it was clean. I felt like they did a, a great job and they pulled in some stuff from the original movie. That was fantastic. Well done. Remember when they said that like everything would change due to COVID? No one will ever go to the movies again right? or get on a plane or, nope. you know, it's a, we're all just going to like grub hub it and become yeah, no. some kind of weird Permits? closet no. dwellers. Uh-uh. The, um, yeah. No, it's so, good. It's funny you say that because when you said it to me the other day, I was laughing that like, so Tana follows these charts where it shows like, what was happening in 2019? Cause that was like mm -hmm. in the old days. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, what's going on right now. And so yeah, box office receipts, it was something like 280 yeah. million bucks collected yes. last week yeah. at the movie theaters. Fantastic. Yeah. I know, but I thought people would never go to the movies again. So yeah, well, I think with that's what I was told. Well, with inflation, people are, you know, trying to cut back on maybe eating out, you know, yeah. and, and maybe not trying to drive as, as much. I think we should all ride bikes anyways. <laughs> um, the It's one of those things. I was at Winco the other day. <sighs> That's how you know things have gotten tight for me. Stopping at Winco. Winco. Yeah, you know, it's like, like, like Winco the store is fine. It's Winco the people that are a problem. <laughs> like, and I don't mean that in a mean way, but no. honestly, I, I can't take my kids there. 
it is scary. Like there was, I parked and I had to oh. move my car because there was like two homeless people going at it. That was like round one. I'm oh, like, okay, that's cool. terrible. You know, I was trying to snap some pictures to send to my wife for fun. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then you walk in and I, I'm not even going to get into it, but it, it was just, <laughs> so anyways, but it's yeah. funny how things change, right? You know, it's like I was talking to my wife, I'm like, I ain't never going to Vaughn's again. <laughs> I'm not that privileged. Oh, and, you know. Yeah, you, you buy you like the lower priced butter and the lower priced right. cheese and right. the lower everybody's, priced milk. Everybody's on a budget. And so yeah. so it's yeah. amazing because yeah. those are the things you look for. Like like a couple of weeks ago when the inflation numbers from May came out and they were high at 8.6% yeah. on the consumer price index, everybody acts shocked, right? The stock market acts shocked. It went down. No, why would this be true? <laughs> And and honestly, I thought, how could anybody be shocked yeah. when for that month, for six weeks, gas prices went up every single day? Mm-hmm. You know, until you start to see the stifling of some of those things. Right. You question how could inflation, in fact, go down? Which is funny because you fast forward now to now. And then last week we had the first really meaningful decline in prices of oil. They're mm. down like 16% last week. Price of barrel came down. The national average fell back below five bucks a gallon for gas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like laughable here. Everyone's like five bucks. Where, where, I'll go, where can I get some? Yeah. They're going to go in line. The, um, <laughs> you know, and so you start looking at those tea leaves and saying, Hey, you know what? Maybe the inflation will start to feel better here sooner versus mm-hmm. later because there's, there's two paths to inflation, and this is the debate. And honestly, in many respects, it's a political debate, right? So yeah. the, the conservatives, they, they tend to focus on supply-side inflation where they mm-hmm. say, hey, there's a lot of inflation. If we just try to create a boatload of supply, right. then what we can do is we can flood the market with goods that will sop it all up, suck up mm-hmm. all that extra money, all that extra inflation, because all the money will have somewhere to go instead of fighting for fewer goods. Conversely, on the liberal side of the argument, they look at, um, I call it demand destruction, but they're trying to get the d- decline in demand. Basically, if they can get people to suddenly change from bonds to Winco, right, by raising and then rates. at Winco yeah. question yeah. every purchase they have, maybe put that thing of tapioca back that they didn't really yeah. need. I did that. I'm like, I don't really need it. <laughs> tapioca. See, I love tapioca. I like, didn't know why? that. Why? I know What's what to get you for your deal, birthday then. everybody? It's tapioca. It's delicious. <laughs> Those little fish eggy things, they're not really fish eggs, but that's what I was told as a well, child. It's a, yeah, it's a texture. And so I tell my own too. children, yeah. but they won't eat it. They think it's disgusting. <laughs> well, because it has that texture. I know. That's like the oh, best part of it. Weirds them out. That's yeah, so tapioca, awesome. man. That's that's the place to be. <laughs> but it's like I, I picked it up, I put it in the cart, and then I started reading the back of it anyway. Like You're like, it's not healthy. Because like, my wife was with me. <laughs> And I'm like, look at this thing. This thing is is five servings, but you know, it's like one of those like small like cottage cheese size things. Right. And sh- and and I'm like, so it's it like 150 calories a serving. So this thing's like, yeah, you know, between sugar and so this thing's like a thousand <laughs> calories. And and she's like, well, put it back. How much of it do you think you would eat? I'm like, oh, I'd eat this whole thing in one <laughs> serving. She's like, put it back. I love Mom, your honesty. Put it back. Yeah, it's true. You know, you kind of slowly yeah. graze yourself over to your bed. <laughs> Put on something. I saw it like those Noom commercials. Have you seen Noom? Some kind of, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Is, some kind of weight loss thing. Yeah. But like, it's always been weird. Like you see the commercials and they say nothing. So you don't know what it is at all. But then all of a sudden, like in the last few months, they've had like these little like micro tidbits. And so they had 
Noom says don't eat on the couch because that's fog eating where like you mindlessly eat while watching TV. I'm like, Dude, that's so true. I totally do that. Yeah. Noom just helped me. Like yeah. now I try not to eat on the couch because I'll mindlessly m- mow through a whole bag of ruffles or something. That's against the law in my house because we just don't want the crumbs in the couch. We don't want our house to smell like a kitchen. Yeah. What was that disease where you're overly scared of germs? Germaphobe. Yeah, it's you. The um the <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Now everybody's a germaphobe though, right? Like, yeah, like I like I've got extent, neighbors. Yeah. I got neighbors. Especially since COVID. Yeah. Lovely human beings driving past my house every day by themselves in their cars, like one person at a time with their masks on. I'm just yeah. still, still baffled by that. That one never me made too. sense to me. Yeah. So yeah, the inflation thing's a problem. Obviously, you know, what's happening with raising interest rates and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff is we're trying to get some demand destruction. The hope is if demand slows down, people change their habits, people slow right. a little bit. That takes the pressure off the supply side. Prices can stabilize and normalize a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where the chaos is. I, I'm on the supply side. I believe you flood the market with goods, let people buy all the junk they want. Let's get it mm-hmm. all at affordable prices and hot diggity dog. We're off to the races. Mm-hmm. But that's my opinion. <laughs> and that's what's fun about opinions. So everyone's got one. All right. Yeah, hey, a couple absolutely. things. Uh, Tana, let's put up your charts. Tana's <laughs> on the charts. I'm, I'm into talking. I like looking at charts. They're right, good so, visuals. So here's one of Tana's charts. What this chart shows is um, household financial obligations. So what this means is what percentage of your income goes to servicing debt, mm-hmm. credit cards, auto loans, anything that you finance home it used to be student loans, but we don't know how that calculates in here anymore. The um, here, let me, let me zoom in a little bit, which is kind of funny. So number one, when this is going down, this chart's going down. That's a good thing. So like, if you look at this chart, so for anyone who's watching this on YouTube and rumble, obviously these are good visual aids for the people that are listening to this on the podcast. I'm sorry. You should watch the show. It's much better. <laughs> um, but what it shows is it sh- I'm looking at a three-year chart of these U S financial mm-hmm. obligations and it's declining, but you have these big potholes in it. So for example, quarter two of 2020, it went down quite a bit and quarter one of 21, it went down quite a bit. Any mm-hmm. guesses, Tana, on why yes. our debt obligations went down so much? Because we were receiving stimulus checks. Boom. <laughs> Proud to be an American <laughs> mm-hmm. and get lots of free, excuse me, kind of free money. <laughs> it's not free. Well, depends who you ask. Yeah. The, um, so that's what's funny, though. Remember, this is a this is a ratio of what are your debt obligations relative to your disposable income? Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden in the last couple of years, we had these tranches of an increase in disposable income through stimulus checks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just kind of anecdotal in and of itself. Probably more interestingly is when I zoom out over a 10 year period, hell, let me go out further. Let's go out further. So here's a, here's a long period of time. And what you notice is basically since 2007, there has been a pretty comfortable, steady yeah. decline, decline. Yep. in the financial obligations. This means that the consumer is getting healthier and healthier. Mm-hmm. The reason that Tana thought this was relevant is I was hassling her about the recession, right? The impending recession, stagflation, mm-hmm. depression that's coming. Um, remember Don Lemon? Um, and, and Tana was countering that with me the other day saying, yeah, yeah. but you cannot discount the fact 
that the consumer is strong, right. stronger, right? It's right. Not perfectly strong. Right. But this, this quantifies it almost perfectly. What do you remember what happened to the stock market in 2008? Anybody? Yeah. What, what happened, Tana? What do you think it did? The big it's, bubble. Big yeah. Bubble. Just, yeah. It just imploded. Bubble. It was terrible. It was all bad. All bad. All right, there you go. Technical terminology from Tana. I know that wasn't what, very you know good. What happened? All bad. But what what was all bad is when you look at the where the consumer was with their financial obligations, their mm. debts, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. It it peaked out in 07, right when the major financial crisis right. started. Right. So even when you look at today, because remember we're we're trying to quantify historical data to now and say. How do we know, Mike, that the end isn't near, that it's not all falling apart again? Well, step one, the consumer is in a much better place than they were back in 08. I mean, just step one. You look at mortgage obligations, you know, I mean, look at the price of a mortgage right now. I mean, I I got people walking in all the time that have two, three percent, 30 year mortgages. Fantastic. Yeah. It's incredible. Rates were just so low. Yeah. All that plays into all of this stuff. Right. A lot of people through COVID stressed out and they tightened up ship. They paid off credit mm-hmm. card debt. Oh, that can't be true, Mike, because I heard it was at all time highs. Mm-hmm. Tana, how many times in the last month have you heard that? <laughs> many times. Yes. So I don't so know we... <laughs> what, I don't know what is out there. We looked up this chart. It's pretty cool. Uh, credit card. Hang on. Hang on, everyone. U.S. credit card debt. Mm-hmm. So here's U.S. credit card debt. Let's go to the last 10 years. Let's go last five years. I'm trying to zoom in so you can see this really well. So I have been hearing, Tana has been hearing because she brought it up and I'm like, that's weird. I hear that too. Is I don't know what is out there, but someone is spreading the salacious rumor (laughs) that credit card debt is back to all time highs. Well, Um, hey, I hate to be the most boring bad news bear, but that's just not factually accurate. mm -hmm. I mean, here's the chart that ends a couple months ago. Credit Mm -hmm. card debt peaked out in the fourth quarter of 2019 before COVID hit. It cratered out, you know, because people were paying off debts and using some money. And then Mm -hmm. it creeped back up a little bit. But in the last quarter, it softened back out a little. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly not back to the high it was pre-COVID. Right. So can you all stop spreading that line? And, and or asking me about it, Mike, right. credit card debts at all time highs. This is because the recession is here. Right. Remember, everything is about the reasons why everything is bad. When the irony is that's weird. People's debt obligations against their income. Is it a historic yeah, low? low? Their credit mm-hmm. card, you know, yeah, it's a little elevated, but it's actually been backing off in the last quarter. Right. <gasps> How can Those are good signs. No, it's all bad. It's all bad. <laughs> All bad. So it, it's it's very fascinating to listen to the emotions, mm-hmm. feel the chaos, but right. then look at the actual facts behind this stuff because the reality is is that are things perfect? No, no, right? We got plenty of problems that we need to solve in this country. Yeah, um, but are all the things that we're talking about as miserable as we want to act no. like? And that's just not that's right. just not true. You know, credit card debts trending back down again. That's what happens when people kind of tighten up the hatches. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not at historic highs. And and the debt obligations that people have taken out are are pretty low relative to normal. There's a new tranche of people if you're running out and buying houses and getting fancy new mortgages where it's a little more painful. But you got to put that in perspective also, everybody. And that is a large swath of those people 
are also coming off of selling real estate at historic highs. Yeah, good to point. To roll into the next property. So There's they're a getting big difference between, yeah, that first asking. time buyer yeah. and just the normal people working through the process here. Right, right. Good point. You know, and so when you have a lot of equity that you're rolling into the new property, mm-hmm. I, you know, I wonder if that's a chart on here. Let's see. Uh, U.S. House. Household debt. Looking for equity. Equity. Equities. Uh, line of credit. That's not it. I don't know. I'll look for that and see if I can find that for next time. That, that would be an interesting one because I hear about it on the news all the time that, you know, <laughs> yeah, the equity in people's real estate's up like $11 trillion it's or something fantastic. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. yeah, is. So, anyways, that's it for the show. Thanks for coming. <laughs> that's not it. What else you have something really cool to share. <laughs> You've been busy. I'm pregnant. Working on your spreadsheet. No, my spreadsheet. <laughs> I only worked. What are you talking it's about? It's very yeah, interesting. You see my spreadsheet. Can anyone see behind me on the show? <laughs> see all that red crap on the whiteboard? That's my real your spreadsheet. Your brain. That's what I normally do. And then at the last minute here, I'm like, well, let's just make a spreadsheet for the show real fast. Right. The um here, let me okay, okay, spreadsheet, spreadsheet, spreadsheet. So Tana, explain to everybody what is the major stock market index we follow? Any guesses? S P five hundred. Oh, good guess. Excellent. Okay. Do you know how many companies are in the S P five hundred? Actually, it's more than five hundred. Slightly. So what you're saying is that was a trick question. Yes. <laughs> Well, you got the answer right. So it's technically 505. Okay. And everyone's like, Mike, you're such a moron. <laughs> it's 500 <laughs> because it's called the S. It's not called the S&P 505. 505. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is there's multiple share classes for like Google and stuff. And those all count in there and are, are mm-hmm. aggregated differently. And so technically there's 500 data sets. And so what the S&P 500 does is it looks at these 500 major cap companies as a breadth of how the overall stock market is. Mm-hmm. So what they add up is they add up market cap. Ooh, I have that on a chart. Eh, it doesn't matter. I'll show you later. And so they add up the market cap of each company. And then they have this magical divisor number, which is super weird. I mean, you're getting into like some nerd rat hole trying to figure out their <laughs> divisor thing. I, nerd that, rat that, hole. That, that, dude. Oh, that is awesome. I don't even, I don't get it, but whatever. So they have this divisor number that they use, and this is how they come up with the index valuation. And so right now the S&P 500 I don't know. Where's it at, Tana? Three, six, seven, four. Okay, it's at it's at thirty six hundred bucks or not bucks, thirty six hundred. <laughs> so what is the S and P five hundred? So it's a bunch of companies, and how does the index work? The whole premise of the index, when we don't have emotions, maybe I'm like, don't look at my chart yet. I'm removing. How dare you people look at it while I'm talking? <laughs> Sneak peek. Um, the way that it works is if you eliminate emotions. What are emotions? People being scared, the yeah. fear, the anxiety, though. What's the Fed going to do? What's the inflation? All of those things. Yeah, our fear of losing money. Yeah. Of, of the companies. The reality is the whole premise of the stock market is a mathematical calculation of what we think and how well we think these companies will do and perform, period. That's it. And so there's two pieces of math that go into the unemotional side of the stock market. There's earnings. Anyone mm-hmm. ever heard of that? Earnings? How much money is a company earning? Mm-hmm. So the the fancy terminology, if you want to be hip with your friends at the bar, is EPS. So you say, 
Man, I was ah. looking at the, the market TPS and I don't know if it's going to hold up. You say that, everyone's going <laughs> to have no clue what you're talking about. Be totally impressed. Yeah, totally. Like, because <laughs> like, sometimes smart people say things like that to me that I have no clue what they're talking about. And I'm like, dude, I'm so impressed, but I got to pretend like I know what they're talking about. And then you yeah. go home and look it up. Man, that, yeah, I'm Googling it under my the table. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that is awesome. So you've got EPS, earnings per share of the S&P 500. Now that's confusing because there's only one share of the S&P 500. So EPS, even though it's earnings per share, the S&P 500 is only considered one share. So mm-hmm. that's all we care about is what is that one share going to earn this year as this aggregate amount of earnings from all the 500 plus companies. So that's step one is what analysts do. Now, I'm not a financial analyst because that is literally its own full-time job. So what bottom-up analysts do is they go through all of these companies. They look at the trajectory of earnings and growth Mm -hmm. of a company. They look at the market cycles. For example, will Target make more money in February or in December, right? You know, they do better during Christmas or during nothing. Yeah. Things like that. Um. They will look at what the earnings calls are. So there's a huge amount of work that goes into a research firm doing what's called a bottom ups, bottom, bottom, bottoms up. It's like <laughs> wrong bottoms up, everybody. This is not a drinking game today. No, it's on not our, on our show. Okay, this is just so a bottoms up analysis. Jeez. I don't even drink, man. I think that's funny. The um. Anyways, so they do, it's a huge amount of work, right? And so what we do is um, we, we rely on the research and data of, of analysts that do that. And there's a lot of different firms and they're constantly putting it out. And you'll see, you know, they'll start putting projections out now for 2023 and 2024. And as they get closer, they revise and revise and revise and revise. And so that's step one is, well, what are the earnings estimates for this year for 2022? That is the most important piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Part two is how much is someone willing to pay for that? Mm-hmm. This is called a PE ratio. Once again, you start sounding fancy talking to your friends here. Hey man, I don't know if the PE is going to hold up this year on the market, man. <laughs> They're like, I don't know what all he's talking about, but it sounds good. <laughs> the um, PE is price divided by earnings. Once again, mm-hmm. don't even worry about what that means. All that means to you is how much is someone willing to pay? There's these multiples that they use. So for example, last year at the end of the year, the S&P 500 earned about $200 EPS. Sounds mm-hmm. fancy, right? EPS. Got to get your acronyms down, right? And at the end of the year, when it all mapped out, the PE that they paid, how much were they willing to pay for those earnings was 24 times. So fun math, everybody, $200 of earnings, 24 times of willingness to pay gives you an index value at 4,800. Tana, can you guess where the index ended and started the year? Roughly. Hmm. I think it's 4,800, wasn't it? Say it again. 4,800. Yep. Excellent, excellent okay. math there. Look at that. Okay. 200 times 24, 4,800. <laughs> this is, look, I'm telling you, I can't, this you is guys, good. we're going to, we're going to, we're going to switch the whole premise of this show to just like giving you like, like bar talk, right? <laughs> bar just talk. Just to really blow people's minds. Okay. So that's important. 
Now, granted, the big debate, though, becomes how much are people willing to pay as anxiety creeps in, you know, inflation, fear, Mm -hmm. chaos, concern, confusion, whatever. As those things creep in, all of a sudden, the willingness to pay for that might go down. So you see Mm -hmm. a P.E. ratio maybe fall from 24 to 22 to 20 to 19 to 15 to who knows what. Um, conversely, you see it go up quite a bit in, in bad markets because, you know, if there's no earnings from a company, but someone's still paying, you know, the index hasn't totally imploded, then the PE ratio looks really high. Anyways, I've now digressed for too long on this <laughs> PE ratio thing. No, it's I've, interesting. No, I know. But once again, and we have you, new you vocabulary got 90 words seconds, Hannah. You got 90 seconds of human attention to make <laughs> any of that crap make sense. And we have surpassed the 90 seconds. And so let me get to the point here, just the show. So what I did here is, um, let me, let me, uh, let me do some highlighting here. Right. Dude, where's the highlighter? Do this. We'll do this. Whoops. I highlighted that square. My bad. Anyways. So you see here earnings per share. So what I did is I pulled up some of the research firms with recent estimates. So BMO bank, for example, has earnings for this year end at $245. Seeking Alpha, $235. Reventi, FactSet, they're both at $229. We don't know what the right answer is, right? We don't know till the year's over. Right. But at least we know that smart people are trying to do smart things. And they obviously have very varying opinions. You know, honestly, the difference between $229 and $245 is a lot. Mm-hmm. So what I did at the bottom is I said, well, what's just the average of these things, right? And so the average is let's just call it 230 bucks a share, you know, just kind of a safe round number. Okay. So now you say, that's what we think we can get the end of the year. And what's amazing about this is everyone says, Mike, it's not going to happen. Earnings are falling apart. Everything's falling apart. A lot of these analysts have updated these numbers in the last two weeks. So, so you have to ask yourself, what am I seeing in the news headlines versus what are analysts digging apart inside of all of these companies that they're actually increasing? I mean, uh, fact set went from, I think, 227 to 229 in the last week. Like, mm-hmm. well, why? <laughs> you know, I mean, I thought everything was bad. You know, you think a smart analyst would be dropping their numbers to be safe. <laughs> right. Getting too much trouble here. Made too many promises. <laughs> so um, I then, by comparison, uh, it's hard to see on my chart here down the left hand side. What I did is I ran the PE ratios all the way back to 1990. But you get into such weird market cycles and stuff that if you look at the very bottom line on that left side, which I know nobody can see, the 10-year average is over 23 Mm -hmm. times. So it's kind of funny because if you had an average earnings this year of $234 and you got the PE ratio of 24, which is obnoxious, I don't think we're getting there because last year was euphoric. People were a little drug addicted, a little too greedy. Like, like we have to come back down to reality, right? Mm-hmm. But if you had that P of 24, that would put the fair value of an unemotional stock market at 5,600. Mm-hmm. Hot diggity dog. I'll take two of those, please. <laughs> right. So I, I don't think that's realistic. No. I don't think that's where this is going. Um, Maybe right in the at, middle though. Well, what I look at is I look at historical norms. So when you track the PE ratio, over a longer period of time, a historical norm for a PE is pretty close to 20. Mm. So I'd say that that probably sets the unemotional, obvious higher bound of the stock market. Now, remember, establishing fair value of the stock market has nothing to do in the end of how it's going to perform, right? Because right now, 
I mean, let's start with a terrible PE ratio, PE of 16. We haven't seen that in years. People are unwilling to pay for earnings of a company. If we had a PE ratio of 16, you know, the stock market should be at almost 3,800. Mm. We're well below that, right? Yeah. You said 36 something, mm -hmm. which just means that we have finally extremely decoupled from reality, right? Something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Either every analyst is a full-blown idiot and earnings are going to be way off at the end of the year to the low side. Or society has finally decided to lose their minds and panic about everything and throw in the towel and sell at the bottom. Right. One of those two things is going to turn out to be correct here. Mm -hmm. I hate to be rude to humans, but I think the second one is the wrong one. Mm -hmm. I think that analysts are not stupid. I think yeah. that they put a lot of time in research right. into this stuff and they would not be revising anything up at the moment. If mm -hmm. there was any inkling, they were anywhere close to wrong. Um, to that theme, you know, I, I believe we're probably going to get solid earnings for this year. I mean, the only way that the stock market could be down this much with a normal P.E. ratio is if we, in fact, have negative earnings. And that's just not happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, first quarter earnings were 10 percent up 10 percent year over year. So on the low end of the range, you know, a P.E. of 16, which is extremely low, that gives us a fair value of about thirty eight hundred. At the normal P.E. ratio, a 20, which is normal and healthy and totally reasonable, mm -hmm. we're at about 4,700, right? So we've got a pretty broad swath of range there. But, you know, if you average the rate of return between those two numbers by the end of the year, at a minimum, you know, we're looking at a probably 15% increase on the S&P 500 okay. from That'd where it great. is now. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I, I'm still, you know, I'm still... A very bullish person. I believe that the rules are different for this decline. This mm -hmm. is not 2008 over again. This is not, not 2000 yeah. again. This is not 2020. This is a unique set of facts driven heavily by anxiety and fear. Mm -hmm. And as soon as those things start to write, that's why I personally believe, I'm not even gonna put this on Tana anymore. I'm gonna take all the credit <laughs> for this. That way when I'm right, then, then, she, then I gotta keep all the credit. No, that way when I'm wrong, people can choose You're to work with her realizing that she is more sound than me. Um, <laughs> that's why I, I really believe that that it is totally reasonable for the stock market to go above 4,700 by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. I believe that. You know, once again, in the beginning of the year, before the, the chaos ensued, we'll say, with a Russian war and, and hyper oil to 125 bucks a barrel, and all those things that, to be fair, you didn't really see it coming like that. Um, but before all of that, that's why our price targets at the end of the year were closer to 5,200. Because when you were, I, we were looking at earnings staying intact and the P.E. ratio coming down, we were thinking, hey, last year we had a P.E. ratio 24. What if we soften it out to just, you know, as things kind of normalize, we get our earnings. There was no reason the S&P couldn't get up there. The problem is, is we're just so decoupled from that at the moment that that'll probably, you know, become more of our like our 18 month price target, assuming the feds don't keep raising rates and post into a recession. <laughs> All right. But that's not happening today. Nope, not today. Stay positive. Uh, from a recession standpoint, let me let me just touch on this really quick. This is mm -hmm. one of our longer shows. I apologize for that weird moment, but you know, this is hard. You know, we, we, mm -hmm. we sit here and we, we work with clients and we're in a time period where people are losing money and, and this mm -hmm. is very humbling and it's very concerning. And we carry a lot of respect and anxiety and concern for our clients' well-being. 
and the decisions that we're making on their behalf to try to be responsible and proactive. And so that's why I did want to spend that time, you know, on the why do we keep thinking this is going higher? And it has, right. once again, nothing to do with emotions. It has to do with just the facts on the ground. Mm -hmm. The facts on the ground are, you know, earnings are holding up better than expected. And Consumer in the history of the stock market, yeah. that's what writes things back to normal. Yeah, unemployment is down too. I mean, things are yeah. looking real good. Lots yeah. of strong numbers. No, and that's and that's what we need. And and to be fair, in two weeks, the second quarter ends, and we're going to be back into earnings season, and we'll mm -hmm. see how this data is holding up, Shapes and certainly mm -hmm. advise you moving forward. The other thing too is there's a there's a continuing debate on are we going into recession. My opinion is very simple. There is no such thing as a recession without broad-based economic decline, period. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is you do not have broad-based economic decline when you created 400,000 jobs last month mm -hmm. and the consumer is still spending money and wage growth averaged an increase of 6% in the last few months and you have 11 plus million outstanding jobs in the economy of employers desperate to want to hire Mm -hmm. Broad-based economic decline means everything starts to fall apart, right? The housing market falls apart. The labor market falls apart. The earnings numbers fall apart. And because in the end of the day, when employers aren't making money, they start scrapping employees. Yeah. And just in the last week, we had initial jobless claims fall by 3,000. I'm sorry to disappoint everybody, but the data is trending differently than the concept of the recession. Mm -hmm. We might end up with what some people call a textbook recession right now, where you had two consort two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. But I would cry BS to all of that because the only reason our GDP was negative in the first quarter was because we had a big increase in imports. Had mm -hmm. nothing to do with US economics specifically. That seems to probably be shaping up in the second quarter again. But guess what? We screwed up all of our imports for two years with supply chain stuff and it's trying to normalize. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah. we need to be lighting the loafers on some of that. Yeah. Stay positive. All right. That got heavy, Tana. Yeah, say something. That <laughs> no, like this is good. Makes it less heavy. <laughs> oh, no, this is good. Hmm. Good stuff. All right. Well, you know, if you got questions, certainly call us. Yeah. And Tana's, she's always on vacation, but I'm always here. <laughs> I am not. Absolutely what? not. Well, you just were. But <laughs> I know. Remember, and it felt good. We, it was we all have short term memories. So because I can only remember the last week, the right. way that I perceive you is you're only on vacation. <laughs> so, hey, give us a call. 805-500-7035. You can visit our main website, thelindgroup.com. Lind is L-Y-N-D. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Wealth Puzzle. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Michael Mansfield at The Lind Group. Call 805-500-7035 or visit them online at thelindgroup.com. All matters discussed during this show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Fee-based financial planning and investment advisory services are offered by the Lynn Group Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of California. Insurance products and services are offered through the Lynn Group LLC. The Lynn Group LLC and the Lynn Group Advisors LLC are not affiliated companies. Lynn Group LLC the Lynn Group Advisors LLC and Michael Mansfield are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency.